the why sometimes for me is, well, part of me, I think, is trying to defy the aging process in a way, or what we define as the aging, how we age. That I want to do this because what society or what a lot of people think of what a 60-year-old woman is or does or is capable, you know, of that I want to defy that. I want to show that that's not necessarily true. This is what else we can do. We don't have to not age gracefully or we can still be competitive or we can still have these, you know, crazy goals or keep our bodies in a certain shape. Like we don't have to succumb to what, again, what we define as being old. So I think that is one reason too. my why is like, yeah, I just, I want to keep fighting it somehow or just showing that it can be done or what's possible for being a woman or being close to 60 or a mother, like all these things. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 107 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Meet Jenny Hitchings, Masters running icon, 2022 USATF Masters Long Distance Runner Athlete of the Year and USATF Hall of Fame Runner. In her 50s, Jenny started running faster than ever, breaking barriers for herself in age that she never thought possible. She holds five 55 to 59 age group American records at 5K, 10K, 10 mile, half marathon, and also owns one world best marathon time where she ran a 245.32 at the 2021 Boston Marathon. Amazing. These races and experiences shaped her and stoked her competitive fire to keep striving for more. We discussed how Jenny found running, goals, race anxiety, expectations, where drive and fire come from, trying to defy the aging process, inspire others, losing her mom, coaches who've had an impact, and giving back coaching youth running clubs and coaching runners. Jenny's why. Part of me is trying to defy the aging process. I want to show that we can still be competitive and have these crazy goals and show others what's possible as a woman and mother at near age 60. I don't necessarily run for my mom, but part of me keeps on going because it helps me defy what defines aging and the stereotypes that go along with it. Who knows what my mom would be doing from age 50 on, but I'm creating my own path. She would have been so proud and I wear a ring of hers every time I race. I'm stoked to see what's next and follow Jenny's inspiring journey. Let's dive in and take a listen. Jenny Hitchings, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's so great to have you here with me, man. I've been a huge fan of your running for so long. Um, you're literally a legend in the master's running community and they just have a ridiculous amount of records. And when people think of records, they think of local records or maybe county records or maybe a state record. You, on the other hand, have world records, like serious amounts of them across a multitude of distances. So um, I have been a big fan, been following you, and I'm just so excited to have you on and just talk about some of the amazing things you've done as a master's runner. Oh, well, thank you. And I don't have tons of world records, maybe American records, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the world one or maybe two. Well, 
I think any of us would like to have one or two world record and American records too. Like, honestly, I don't know off the top of my head. Your marathon record is a world record, right? My marathon, uh, I, well, I did have the world record with a 250, um, 32 that I got in New York in 2019. And, uh, New York is a legitimate course for making records, which is, um, or having records on. And, uh, so I got it then. Um, and then just this last London marathon, a woman, Krisha Stanton broke my world record at London with a 248. Um, so again, on, uh, the way to legitimize the records, you have to have the right certified type course. And there's just all these things that go along with it. But I do still have the world best time, which um, was at Boston um, 2021, and that was the 245.32, but Boston's not a record-eligible course. So um, I guess I now have to just say I have a world best, but I don't have a world record. <laughs> so You explained that really well. And for everybody at home, it's a little tricky because my good friend Gene Dykes, um, tried to set the world record for over 70 multiple times. And I think one was in Naples, Florida. And, you know, you know far more about this than I do. There are so many requirements of a race director to be done in advance, literally, that just have to be covered. Every box has to be checked and ticked. And then even if you go out there and have the race of your life, if they haven't done every single one of those things, you can, in fact, run the world record, set the time, and then it's not actually ratified, right? It doesn't actually count as far as the record. It certainly counts for you or Gene or anybody else out there doing amazing things. But as far as like being in the record books, right? Right. And I think that too, like that's just the way the records are like, it doesn't matter what distance it is. You cannot run a record on a point-to-point course. That's just the way it is. You know, Boston's point-to-point, CIM is point-to-point. Um, Whereas New York, London, Chicago, those um, they're even if they have just sort of a weird little loop in there or something where the start and the finish have a certain amount of distance from each other, which I don't remember off the top of my head. But so a lot of you us out there who are serious about getting a record or want to do it, we know we have to go to certain courses to do it. Got it. Got it. And by the way, the 250.36 and the 245.32 are in the 55 to 59 age group for everybody at home who wants to know just how insane those times are. Um, and now I've competed in the World Age Group Championships. This will be my second time. Um, I don't know, you know, if you were not focusing as much on the marathon because I know you do 10 mile and you all these other distances that you have a lot of records at. And to qualify, even though you have incredible credentials, you have to record at least two marathons to get into the World Age Group Championships ranking and, and get invited. So were you trying to do that or just wasn't on your radar at all at this point? Will you be going to Chicago? Yeah, I was trying for that. Um, I, yeah, I would like to run, um, you know, two, yeah, two marathons. And I think I was really hoping to go to London with that too. So yes, that was the goal. Um, I don't think when I did New York, I was thinking about that then, but, um, definitely in, Maybe I was. I forget when even uh, I forget when the whole Abbott World Majors kind of came out with that um, eligibility to get into um, some of these big races through running, you know, two other marathons. So I'm, I'm now getting my years mixed up. That's okay. I mean, I can really help you with that for the future. So I work real closely with them and uh, the World Marathon Majors team. Lorna Campbell's been on my podcast. She's the head of marketing and communications. She's the one who developed that whole. 
uh, global marathon, the global virtual, global run marathons that go on. Um, for example, there is one, they, they call it the, the spring and the fall marathon, and they, it covers a period of months. So if somebody signs up for their global marathon, which literally costs $25, right? Instead of you running around a local track or running around Sacramento or Weehawken, New Jersey, you can show up at a multitude of races. It's not just the Avid Majors where you can go. I ran, I went to Barcelona last year, two weeks after Boston, because it was Mother's Day. And uh -huh. none of my friends were going to ruin their marriage or get in trouble with their moms <laughs> and be out there running with Ron around Central Park. So I was like, all right, I need to do this. I got to try to qualify. My best shot is to find a race on the site. And I found Barcelona. I always wanted to go. I'd been to Spain before, but hadn't been to Barcelona. And I went and I ran a great race and I qualified. And that's how I got in this year. Actually, I think you're right about that. I think I know I did New York and then I came back and did CIM. And I, it was to get two marathons so that I, cause I think London is where it was going to be. Yes. And then things just with the pandemic, just kind of get getting pushed. And then they were moving it to October. So two different times I have done the Abbott world majors and run marathons to try and get into London. And for whatever reason, those two times I did get in, I was, I think I was at the top of the age group. Um, I never, it just, things fell apart or I couldn't go. So now I am going this April. Oh, <laughs> Awesome. So, <laughs> but not, not through the world, mate. I just, uh, just happened to be able to just, you know, I, I got in, so I'm going to go in April cause I've, it's a marathon I've always wanted to do and I've never ran, um, internationally. So I'm a little intimidated by it all, but, um, it should be fun. London's a great race. You have nothing to be intimidated by. The logistics are fantastic. It's incredibly well organized. Um, they do an amazing job. And with your master's credentials, I would be shocked if you couldn't get, you know, elite master's bib and, and bottle service. Is, um, yeah, elite. Um, their elite time was about basically, I think what the Olympic trial standard is, is that's, if that's what they were going to let the elites in, like in a sub 237. Okay. Um, so, but they did let me in into the championship corral just, you know, probably as a favor. I don't know, because I had missed the two other Londons for various reasons. And, um, because my time was decent enough. So, um, they're, you know, I'm, I'm paying to get in, but they are putting me in the championship corral and I'm going to me that when I say intimidating, it's more just, it's the travel it's, you know, acclimating, it's, um, just kind of getting used to it all. And, um, just sort of wondering what's ahead, what's in store for me. So, yeah, it is, it is a lot. And if it is your first international, which you said, it's a lot. Um, and this has kind of become my thing. It's all I do is run the majors and I run them all in one year. Once I'm going to try to do it again this time, which no one has done all six in a year twice. So I'm going to try to do that this year, but, um, getting to these, these host cities, whether it be Berlin or London or Tokyo as early as you can is a big thing. Um, just to get your feet on the ground and feel like you're off the plane and, you know, you're at least adjusted to the time zone somewhat. And, you know, just getting out there, if you can get a little bit of the course under your belt, even if you just know where the starting line is, something about it. London is just a great course and I'll be over there. Um, I'll probably going to go straight from Boston to London because it's only six days apart. So I don't think there's any reason why would I fly home from Boston? It really doesn't even make any sense. I'll probably just go straight over. Be there too. Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. I'll be there. 
And I, what I'll try to do for you, and I not just because we're on the podcast together, um, I've got a ton of friends who live there. They live there. Their life is there. Um, they're crazy ass hardcore runners like we are. Okay. I'll see if we can figure out some way to get, you know, maybe they're not going to be on the table, but maybe we can get some people out there at designated spots for you. Because if you know where they're going to be, you'll find them. That's the whole point. You know, you need to know where they're going to be. It's always that way. In New York, if I tell somebody to be in the 90th, 90th and first on the east, southeast corner, I know where that is. If they don't know where that is, we're doomed because there's four particular, you know, four corners they could go stand on. And with that many people, you have no chance of finding them. They're not going to see you, but you can see them if you know where they're going to be. Um, and so, you know, like the Cuddy Sark ship and all these other iconic places you run by. No, you don't want a bottle over there. There's, it's crazy. There's a million people. There's photographers everywhere. It's wild. You're, dr you're running around the boat and it's great. But maybe a half mile up the road from there might be a good spot, you know, where it starts to thin out a little. So we'll, we'll see what we can do to give you your best chance to have a, uh, have an awesome race over there for sure. Okay. Thank you. All right. Yeah. And my husband, my, my husband will be coming, you know, he, he's a great supporter of mine and he'll, he'll do a lot of uh, traveling with me and, and uh, go to these races. And yeah, we usually try and find a spot where he can be, that's not going to be too overly crowded. And sometimes I miss him and sometimes I see him, you know, but even like with London, you know, we'll make it a trip, like, you know, come with me, we'll travel and at first he was hesitant about it. I said, why don't you want to go to London? It's going to be great. We'll travel. It is. He's like, uh, you're just really not that fun. Like right before a marathon. <laughs> like, I know. I go, but I'll be fun this time. I promise. And he's like, mm, well, maybe we'll do the traveling afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, All right. <laughs> the lies we tell our significant others when we're, when we're basket cases and we're wound up tighter than God knows what. Um, as we get to those last couple of days before the race and seemingly every step we take is fraught with uh, pain coming from unknown places and we have no idea what's happening to our bodies. And, you know, we slow down and we stop running a lot of miles and all of a sudden, you know, parts of our body are literally disintegrating along with our, our brains, which are, you know, basically ready to just say like, hey, how can well, I run? I would be happy if I was um, only stressed for a couple of days ahead of time. I think I'd start getting worked up at least 10 days ahead of time. Um, I just, I do, I get very anxious about racing. So um, to the point where I thought, ah, you know, I might need to talk to a sports psychologist about a lot of this stuff because I, I do get really uh, nervous or anxious about it. Um, so that is something I'm trying to work on is identifying, you know, what is it about this that, you know, has turned this um, sport or this, this thing I do into, um, you know, an, an activity that makes me, you know, very anxious when I, when I'm doing it, you know, so it's not healthy. I don't think, but, <laughs> but then when it's over with, I'm like, Oh, that, you know, that was great. That's cool. You know, and then I'm ready to sign up for another one. Just completely forget how, you know, what a basket case I was, you know, a week prior. Um, but well, that's not that uncommon. Um, and I think the first step with any of these things is recognizing, you know, the things that we could potentially work on that would help us. And we could be a part of a, something that you can just improve upon. And um, there are so many sports psychologists today and better yet, I'm sure you can find one that's an actual runner because we don't waste our time talking to anyone. I won't even go to a dentist that isn't a runner. I won't go to anyone. I'm like, wait a minute. Does this person have any running creds? No, they're not a runner. Nope. Yeah. Sorry. You can't, you can't work on my teeth. Sorry about that. Sports chiropractor. Um, how many marathons have you run? No, you know, you're not a runner. Okay. No, sorry. Nice talking to you. Like, it doesn't matter. I won't even go to a GP. Like, you know, 
they don't want to, we're just a different breed, man. We're not wired like regular people. So yeah, I mean, look on the college campuses, I'm sure, I don't even know if you're aware of this, but a lot of uh, the top running programs now have people on staff, you know, for the runners to talk about this stuff, performance anxiety, um, really stressing out, you know, getting scholarships and feeling like they're not cutting their weight, you know, you know, carrying their weight, earning their place on the team, or, you know, maybe they were brought in as the first runner or the second runner, the third runner, and they're struggling and they're trying to find their form and, you know, classes are coming at them, workloads coming at them, socialization's coming at them. And the next thing you know, you get kids that can be really seriously overloaded. So, at, even at our age, we take it seriously, man. We're not out there just goofing off, man. This is serious business. You're not out there just like training for fun. You're not trying to win a set a world record or American record or be a master's long distance runner of the year and set like club records that are like almost impossible to beat if you're just doing it for goofs, man. It's this is serious business. I mean, it's all good. Right. I agree with all that. And I think if I dug deep, which I do dig deep, I, I mean, I think I, I knew, I do know what the underlying, you know, causes of all this is. And now I think, you know, as you learn them and talk them out and like, again, think about meeting with someone, it's just sort of finding the tools that enable you to, you know, you know, let it go and relax and get yourself more mentally prepared for the race, you know, um, rather than going into a, deep sweat <laughs> yeah <Heavy breathing. laughs> cold cold shivers cold yeah, sweats right, right. give me the blankets give and me the comforter yeah yeah sleep. where's the tums where's the tums i don't know what to do well listen i would never in my wildest dreams have any idea what that would feel like i mean yeah i ran some some what i think are really solid times probably comparable to what you were running when i was in my late 30s okay i couldn't run anything even close to remotely in the ballpark of what you're doing. So it's remarkable. It's just absolutely inspiring as hell. But if I were the one in your shoes and I had set American records or world records, hell yeah, I could understand where that anxiety and pressure would come from because it's got to feel like, well, I set this record, I better set some more or people are expecting me to do this now or people are watching me closely. Um, and there's got to be some of that. And how do you like let that, how do you let that go is really what it comes down to, or maybe not let it go, but just figure out a way to process that and just figure out a way to just say, okay, even if I don't still pretty cool, I'm a mom, I'm a badass. And I think that, um, you know, I think what you're saying is true about the, the different pressure that I've put on myself right now about, um, you know, doing well out there versus, but, you know, I'm also, that's just sort of my nature too, that I would get you know, stressed out before even sometimes a hard workout or a race that didn't even matter. Or, and I think when it comes down to it, there's always going to be with me, even though I do well, um, always a little insecurity that this is the time I might not do so well, or it's going to be hard and that stresses me out, or I'm not going to do it well and I'm going to fail at it. And that stress, like there's, and maybe stress isn't the right word, but I, I get wound up just thinking about it and putting almost too much thought into it sometimes, you know. So, you know, it's not even that I've been feeling this way in the last, you know, five years. I just feel like um, this is something I've been kind of working on in general um, is how to uh, um, not let, again, yeah, the workouts, the races, um, and all that get to me so much, you know, just, and I'm actually doing much better. That is one thing I think that does come with age. Is sort of that, oh, okay, whatever. Like, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. If I don't like to go, if I don't want to go that far, I'm not, 
I'm just going to do whatever feels right. Or if I don't, you know, want to do that race, I'm not going to do that race. And then I end up doing that race and I end up doing the workout (laughs) and going the pace. So, but maybe it's just the ability to let myself off the hook um, enables me to go further. Ding, ding, ding. Keep ringing the bell. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) You just nailed it. I have no sports psychology background, but I don't need one to know that when we give ourselves permission and we let ourselves off the hook or we take ourselves out of that stressful thing, and the most poignant example I can always think of is Des, you know, coming back and waiting for, you know, Shalane when Shalane took her pee pit stop in Boston in the monsoon year, which I was out there for and so many of my friends were. Um, you know, Des basically told Shalane, like, hey, you know, I'm gonna drop. Or I'm feeling like I'm gonna drop. So don't worry. It's all good. And in her mind, she said that out loud. It wasn't just between her own ears, she said it out loud. She basically took whatever shackles were on her at that point, whatever stress was on her at that point, which she has, like you have, like anyone has who's serious about their craft, and basically said, I'm in helper mode right now. It's like the Tour de France, right? You know, you have the riders bringing their their A rider up to the pack or getting them through the hills and holding on to the yellow jersey or whatever it might be. Um, you know, the domestiques are doing the work. Um, so in this case, like Des like sublimated for, wasn't a long period of time. And, you know, she helped bring Shalane back. They kind of caught up to the pack. They didn't catch up right away. But then a funny thing happened along that race, which we all know the beautiful (laughs) part of the story is all of a sudden she started feeling better and she started looking around her and seeing that people were really suffering running the pace she was running. And she wasn't going at it any harder. She just kind of kept her foot on that same level, right? Whatever that level was. So I love that we're on this talk track because, you know, permission to say, I don't need to do this workout. Or if I don't do this workout, the world's going to keep spinning. You know, I could still go run that that 10 mile race, wherever it might be. Or I'll make it up at another time or when it like, you know, um, or, you know, let's say, I don't want to, you know, wake up at seven in the morning to do something like, okay, well then wake up at eight and then go out and do the workout or whatever it is. Um, but then I'll still wake up earlier. It's the same thing, you know, like just for some reason that enables me to relax, just knowing that there doesn't have to be so many rules. Yeah. Well, look, that's discovery, man. That's learning about yourself. Um, as you continue to do great things as a runner, the more you can unlock on the mental side, you know, the better it's going to serve you for the long term. And I know we were exchanging notes before coming on, talking about your history and athletes and your coaching situation. Um, I saw uh, Jenny Spangler's coaching you, and it just it just totally made me smile because you know I can't even begin to tell you like watching the Olympics is one thing, but I would watch the Olympic trials races like it was the greatest thing in the world. There was nothing that could compare to the men and women being out on that course trying to earn one of those three spots. And I still remember screaming my head off for Jenny Spangler, wanting her to hold on to that lead, wanting her to win that race. And I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I was on the treadmill running some psycho 22 mile run, getting ready. And I think they were in Charlotte. It was hilly. I think they were in North Carolina. Maybe I'm getting my uh, city Um, wrong. um, Atlanta, maybe. Uh, I don't, I don't think it was Atlanta. I think it was Charlotte. I really do. But either way, it was hilly. Um, and Atlanta obviously is hilly because I was just there for the trials this past, this past time around. But I mean, what a, what an amazing, uh, athlete 
to choose to coach. And it, I just want to segue in because you were talking about giving yourself permission um, at your level. And if, as much as you've accomplished, you know, you've developed a kind of relationship with her where if you're not feeling stuff or things aren't going the way, maybe you see them going, you know, you have a lot more input now maybe than you would have years ago with some of the athletes who've coached you before. Is that is that a true uh, statement, would you say? Yeah, I think now that I feel and being a coach myself, I feel like um, I'm starting to know a little bit about what's going to work, you know, best for me and my body, you know, physically, mentally. And so uh, Jenny knows how to work with me as far as, you know, she's putting out my schedules. I look at things, you know, generally I follow everything she says to a T, but sometimes, you know, I, I add on a little more or I take a I actually barely take away anything, but I do end up <laughs> a little faster or a little more miles. And, um, but more than anything, it's turned into more, you know, we can collaborate. I can say, here's what I'm thinking might work for me. What do you think about that? Or if I go into this training this way, do you agree with that? You know? And so, and we usually agree. Um, and I, I feel like I'm usually on somewhat target of what I think will work for me. Um, but I need to also make sure when I say might work for me or here's my ideas and that I'm not um, going too easy on myself either, you know? So, um, and I think she helps, she works that out with you. So yeah, she's, and you know, I love it too. We're the same age, you know, she's a woman, she, you know, was at the Olympics, you know? Um, and uh, it's just somebody that she really, I think, I, you know, she has kids. We, we just understand each other, you know? and aging and running and, um, and why we do it and why we don't always like to do it or whatever it is. Um, so, um, it's been a nice relationship. Great. And how often do you guys communicate and is it texting? Is it email? Do you guys do zooms? Like what's your flow on, you know, your plan and how often you guys communicate and what's it, what's it like? She gives me schedules for like two to three week time periods. And, uh, you know, we do text, and probably only talk on the phone maybe every two or three weeks um, for catch-up stuff or if I have, a, you know, something I really want need to talk through. Um, so, you know, I try not to take too much advantage of, of the coaching relationship too because, again, she lives in Chicago. She has other people she's coaching. And, you know, um, I, don't, uh, I don't necessarily need her for everyday stuff. So, yeah, I so I get my schedules and... Um, again, I think probably most of it though is through texting and email is the way we communicate. Um, but I've seen her in Chicago before and, um, th those are always sort of fun moments when you get to actually spend one-on-one -on -one time with, with your coach, like, ah, oh, that's what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go out, so, to, go out, do a little shakeout run, hang out for a little bit or whatever, get, grab a meal together. Yes. Always, always nice to, uh, you know, develop the relationship a little bit further. So, um, Lund so London is on the schedule, big goal in April. What else are you looking at? Cause I'm sure you're doing your year, like a full year. You're probably looking at like targeted events and big things, um, other than London, like what big is on your mind or what goals do you have in mind for this upcoming year? So for goals, you know, again, like last you know, October was a goal and I ended up, you know, fracturing my foot in end of August. So there went, you know, that goal. And then you have to spend your time, you know, healing and rehabbing it and then getting yourself back. And then of course you think you're never going to get back and you're writing your running obituary like over and over again. And then slowly things progress. So I get sort of hesitant, like when I make these big plans, because you just never know sometimes what's going to happen. But 
I do feel it's important to have goals. And, you know, this is what I'm counting on is that um, I'm going to do Napa half marathon in March. And then we have our big SAC town 10, which is a PA USATF race here at 10 miler in Sacramento in April, and then go to London. Um, and then probably after that, maybe take a little bit of downtime. And then I'm going to um, go to Chicago for the marathon um, in October. And I will now be in a new age group. So I sort of have some high hopes for um, that age group once I get to Chicago. Again, assuming everything holds together. Um, and and then never say never. Like Then I come home and then CIM's in December here and it's my hometown race. I'm like, oh, I'll skip it this year. And then it's just hard to do that, you know, so I, I sometimes jump in that one too, but we'll see about that. It's very hard. Um, the gravitational pull for me in New York city, I, I say, I'm never going to run New York again, or I won't run it. I, I can't skip New York city. I mean, it's, I can't do it. I just can't. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, my team, it's, you know, it's a club points race. I'm sure you have competitive things like that for your running teams in your area as well. Everyone does, you know, USATF type of team competitions and points and what ours is for the tri-state area. But, you know, that's a, that's the, like one of the final races of the year. That's a big chance to earn points. And, and they're always like guilt tripping me like, Oh, come on. You ran all these other majors. Like, come on, you got to run New York. Okay. All right. I'll do it. All right. Twist my arm. Yeah. All right. I'll do it. I'll just go run it to whatever capacity I can. Or sometimes you think I'll be a pacer. Or I'll go at this time or I'll just, you just go in and, you know, participate. Um, so yeah, I think your hometown races are hard ones to not do. It's just too easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you, you, you got people out there. Everyone knows you. Um, and CIM is a very course friendly, um, race to spectate. I mean, people can get around and be out there. Um, it's not these crazy, uh, Boston deep, New York city, deep Chicago, deep London, deep, you know, kind of a field, but it's a robust crowd. I mean, they're fired up, they're excited. And I damn well bet they're a lot more excited for you and the other local runners who are sack runners when they're rolling through, just like when we roll through at central park track club jerseys on in New York city and the five barrels, like people are screaming their heads off for our team. And it doesn't matter who you are. You're wearing the orange man. It's like, Oh, CPTC, let's go. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pass on that. And if you're going to put your bib on, I know you're not going to be like strolling around out there, girl. You're going to be like, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's not right. happening, man. Because like somebody starts going by you, and you're just going to be like, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. I better go catch that chick, or going to catch these young guys who think they're faster than me. I mean, come on, man. You gotta, you gotta like run people down. I mean, that's got to be part of it, right? It's fun, right? That's where deciding to be a pacer or something like that's better because you know you have another a different job to do. So, um, but yeah, once I put on a bib, um, yeah, all bets are off. I just I, there's no way I once I get there and the gun goes off that I don't feel competitive. So. Yeah. The stallion in you comes to life. It's yeah. like, let's go. It's a race. That's why we call it a race. Um, it's like running by people, you know, you never can tell from behind, you know, like exactly maybe people's age groups or this or that, you know, cause obviously some of a lot of the open women and a lot of masters women too can beat me, but like you just run by someone, you have to do kind of a quick turnaround and look at them and, and wonder if uh, it's in your age group or your, competing against that person, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you're used to, you're used to the track and USATF and the cross country things, which are national races and whatnot. And they do have the bibs where you'll know what age group and the world championship marathon is great like that. So on the back of your 
you know, you'll have a bib number in the front, but in the back of your bib, it'll have your age group on there. So you'll see it's color coded for. I um, had that in Boston. I think I had it in New York too, the back, the back bibs, you know, so I do get that, but no, um, for the, yeah, those big races like that. Yeah. And I've never really ran much cross country. Um, and I have a feeling I'm maybe start doing a little bit more of that. Does it just seems like just a touch of fun, uh, team spirit and everyone running together and, you know, just, uh, and my team's pretty much into it too. So I know my time is coming to hop in some of those races, lace them up and join your teammates, man. They'll love having you out there. It's, it's so fun. Um, luckily you missed the one in the Bay area this year because that was like <laughs> completely insane. Trees were down, like yeah. it was a mud pit. And I, I just, I'm sad I missed it because like, so what your times go out the window, like who cares, man? It's just like an experience, man. Just like slop it up, get as much mud on you as you can run through all the puddles and, uh, you know, change into dry clothes when you're done, you know, but you're, you you hit the nail on the head, man, this team stuff, there's something different about it, man. You know, you're and you, you know, you want to score and you know, you have X number deep and you know, whether you're masters or not, if that team's depending on you, man, you know, you're going to have to dig, you're going to have to dig deep, right? Right. Which is maybe why I don't do much team stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You're afraid you'll break yourself and, you know, and you'll be, yeah, you'll be out for the rest of the year. I don't want anybody depending on me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want to be, want to be Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah. Just depend, depended on yourself. I love it. Um, So just for the, for my run chats audience that may not know you or of you, let's just walk through some just basic background. You know, like where did you grow up? Family life as a kid youth sports, just basic stuff like that? Well, as I had mentioned to you a little bit earlier, I, my, um, growing up situation, you know, is, uh, not so straightforward. I am, uh, we moved a whole bunch of times as a, as a kid. And as I had mentioned to you, you know, I was, you know, born in San Diego. Then we moved to Mill Valley, California, which is near us here in the Bay area then to Philadelphia, then to Hastings on Hudson, New York, then back then to LA, then back to Mill Valley. It just like went back and forth. Um, and not because it, I was a military kid or any of that, but just my parents, my dad's jobs, and then my parents kind of separating and getting back together and separating me. Like, and it was the seventies. It was just kind of a really weird time <laughs> as they would call it. I think for our, my parents, like it was sort of like the me generation, like they just did whatever they wanted. Um, so, um, anyway, come for that, you know, I basically, the longest time I spent in one place was high school back in Mill Valley again. And then I went to school in San Francisco. So I consider myself really from Marin County, Mill Valley and, uh, and living in, you know, San Francisco for a while after, um, college. So, um, because of all the moving around I did, and because of my age, I just, I never really participated in many, you know, group sports. I just, I don't remember that being very available to me. Maybe once you got to high school and stuff, that's when I had friends who were on swim team or played soccer and did stuff, but I don't want it, but it's true as a woman, as a girl, you know, being born in the sixties and all that. I just, I just don't remember that being, having that much opportunity to do sports. And I know it was there. But again, a lot of it with me moving all around, I think a lot of my goals, I'd get to one new place, join a new school. And it was just sort of about connecting and making friends before, you know, move on to the next and then have to kind of uh, regroup and meet new friends again, you know, but, you know, 
So as far as that goes, not, I don't really say that I have like these, you know, athlete, these icons that I look up to, you know, I don't really have um, sports that I can say I was super interested in just because I didn't do it. I watched the Olympics every four years and that was really full fun. You know? Okay. And then that just simply wasn't a part of my life, which is interesting because now it's such a big part of my life. And that didn't really happen until after college. So, yeah, it makes total sense to me. Um, just I only moved once in, you know, my grade school, high school years, and it was a huge adjustment. So moving that many times, like you're hundred percent right, you know, fitting in with kids in school again and who are you going to talk to and who are you going to eat lunch with in a room? Like, and unless you were playing those sports before you were moving around and going to these schools where you played field hockey or basketball or were on the swim team, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is, oh, I have to sign for the swim team or your mom or dad aren't sitting there thinking, you know, we got to sign Jenny up for soccer. I mean, Jenny wasn't playing soccer before. So why would they be thinking of that? So, and Jenny yeah. was the oldest of four kids and we, they still have to worry about the other, the other kids and getting them, you know, adjusted too. And I also being the oldest of the four kids, I sort of played that role of, you know, I was on board to you know help take care of things at home and babysit and you're like, so I don't know. I just, my parents, I feel like also needed me to be around or to kind of help out with um, my siblings sometimes, or at least that's the way I, I look at it now um, to be the babysitter, help take care of stuff, um, which is probably why I've moved into sort of that, those leadership roles as I've gotten, you know, older too. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, th there was, yeah, all the moving around and um, the, you know, my siblings and then um, my father, when my mom and dad got di divorced, you know, my father remarried and has two other kids now. So now there's six of us. So um, <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a lot of family. Yeah. And on your side, yeah. How many children do you have? So you have, I have two girls, Molly and Maggie, um, who are actually my half brother's ages. So my dad and I were having kids at the same time, which was kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to go with kind of strange too. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Talk about like trying to, he's trying to steal your thunder. Like, no, I'm just kidding. Teasing. Well, no, but, I mean, it's just, it's hard to be a grandfather and a father at the same time. You, you know, you better believe, you better believe all the that. Kids would get together. And if, you know, he needs to discipline his boys, well then my girls are thrown you know, like yeah. in there too. So they don't get the special grandpa, you know, treatment. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so when do we actually get introduced to the great sport of running, which is such a big part of your life now? When does it actually happen? It actually happens um, when I went to UC Santa Barbara and it happened because I'm in the most beautiful place on earth, you know, going to school there. And um, I didn't want to gain that infamous freshman 10, you know, so I uh, just, I think one day just said, I'm going to go for a run and check out this campus. And, you know, I'd run around, you know, the beach or the bluffs and I would do one, two miles. I'm like, that's okay. And then that's when the competitive driver, that challenge in me started to get created. Like, okay, I did two miles. I didn't feel so bad. You know, I'm going to try three tomorrow. I'm going to do five tomorrow till finally I was out there. Like, I'm just going to try like a 10 mile run and just see how that feels. And then, you know, I would do that. And I remember at the time we had, we'd listen to, um, I don't listen to any music now, but at the time I would listen to a Walkman. <laughs> so, um, basically, um, you know, put on my earplugs and, or listen to music and go for a run. And then I'd come back and I'd tell my roommate, like, Oh my God, I just ran 10 miles. And 
I remember one time she's like, okay, Jenny, now you're just starting to brag. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I guess I can't keep, uh, you know, showing off about this anymore, but so I would just, yeah, I build and build and, and it just, this was one thing that did actually come naturally to me. And I, I loved it. And I loved being out there on my own and challenging myself and the beauty and the peacefulness there. And it just kind of developed into a passion for me. And um, I probably really, though, didn't start racing for, you know, years later, but just just running. And then one day got a bug up my butt that I was going to do a marathon for whatever reason with no training at all. And I did a um, LA marathon with two friends. And then a few later, year later did San Francisco. And those were my first ones. Like, yeah, forget like 86 or 87, something like that. Well, that's where the seeds were formed. Um, and that's where you got that first experience of what it felt like. And, you know, people talk about runners high all the time. You know, I've personally found that it's not really a distance related thing. You could be on a, I actually think if you're in the right place, you could be on a three or a four mile run and have that kind of feeling and just have it come over you and be like, wow. I mean, I'm so blessed to run on the waterfront and have like the most spectacular views of New York city, far better than when I lived on the upper West side will ever be because, it's just perfect. I mean, when the sun is hitting those buildings at the right light in the golden hour, it'll take your breath away. And then when night truly comes in and the stars are all out, that'll take your breath away. And I just run and I look at it and I'm like, you know. And it's one time that nobody's dependent on you too. Like I don't feel like, and again, I didn't do many group sports and I kind of like that. I liked being able to just lace up, go for a run. And I didn't have to be dependent on the group or a group meeting or a certain practice or those things. I just went and did what I wanted to do. And, you know, that made me feel, um, yeah, definitely more exuberant and ready to start the next, you know, part of the day or whatever I was doing and, you know, obviously getting more fit. So that felt good too. Yeah. And you don't even know at this point, you're just doing it because it feels good. And that's the way anything should be, whether it's going to the gym or, you know, riding a bike or any sort of endurance act activity of any sort, hiking, climbing, whatever it is, if you do it and you like it, you want to do it again. You know, when you and start going Ron, to- the- that's how I hope it ends too for me. Like, I hope I end my running career, if that's what you want to call it, organically. And it's that, and back to just doing what I love, that I'm just out there going for a run because I love it. And I love how it makes me feel. And, uh, you know, just- you know, that that'll still be where I'm at, not necessarily with all, you know, the racing and the competitive stuff. So whenever I make that transition, that's what I'm hoping that it just goes into that rather than something where I, you know, hurt myself or I can't do it anymore, you know? So, um, that's the goal is like where I started. I'd like it to end up there too. That's a great goal. And, um, I know you're also doing some coaching, and, you know, so to compete at the incredibly high level you're competing at is one thing and it's awesome, but to be able to start to take some runners under your wing and try to bring them along and share, you know, the lessons that you've learned about competing and not just how to lay out a training plan and how to do hard workouts or how to maybe peak for a race, but also just to stay in the sport, you know, to be competitive over a period of time, you know, it's really about consistency. That's how you become really good at anything in life. That's how you become a master of anything. I don't care what it is. It can be music or performing arts or anything. It just, that discipline has to be honed over so many years. So you've done it. You're continuing to do it. 
And if you are doing something like that already, but then put more focus on that while you're just running for your own enjoyment, let's say, um, not now, not when you can still be shooting for American records and world records. Hell no. You keep going for every one of those you can. But when the time comes that you don't feel that you can still do that or get that much out of yourself, you'll know. You'll know. People will say that to me too. Like, so Jenny, when are you going to, you know, when you think stop running? Like, well, first of all, I'm never, I don't hope I'm never going to stop running, you know, but they'll say, but you know, you've achieved everything you've needed to achieve now. Like what other goals could you possibly want? And okay. Yeah. I've, I've, I've definitely achieved a lot and I've done some great things with my running and I never thought I'd be one of those people that was going to be happy being an age group, you know, win, you know, winner, but I still feel like, yeah, there's still those bigger goals. Like, okay, there still are those big records, like the American records, the world records. And, you know, I've definitely, I'm aiming a, a bit high, <laughs> but that would be the goals. Again, I don't, I don't necessarily need to go into every race, just hoping I win my age group in that race, um, which sounds, I don't know, maybe I'm great, bad, you know, but I, uh, my goals are a little bit bigger and I feel like I can still achieve them. So, um, but I don't want to keep chasing age group records either. You know, I just, once I do it, I should be able to let it go too. Like I've, I've done this with these American records in from 55 to 59. And yet I still go out there and every race I do, I feel like I need to break my own record. And that just gets really tiring. <laughs> just like, but maybe part of me thinks, oh, I can still do better and break my own record, or I want to make it a little bit harder for the next person to try and break my record. Or, And, uh, you know, at what point do you let some of that go? Um, I don't know. But yeah, those always seem to be my my goals. Um, and uh, I forget now what we were talking about. <laughs> no, it's just, we're talking, we're just talking about, you know, if when you get to whatever point where you feel that you're not able to do this at that same highest level. You were talking about that, that you would be able to just kind of let it unwind organically. And, yeah. you know, that led us into that talk track where you just went. And look, it's there, no one out there in this world can set your goals or my goals or mm -hmm. David Goggins goals or any other athlete or non-athlete. They're not your, they're, they're yours, they're mine, and they're the other person. So, um, that's where the challenge comes from with coaching. You really have to know your athletes so well to really, truly know if this is something that's, you know, possible, achievable. Um, you always want to give them that support. You want to give them that level of confidence that they can do it, but you also don't want to give them false confidence or false hope. Like I think the first question I would ask a lot of the times when I'm coaching people and they have these goals, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll listen and I say, that's a really great goal. And I can understand why you, um, going to go for that, but let's talk about the why. Why do you want this? Why is this important to you? Um, because you have to think about that too. Not, that, not just that you're just going to go for it because that seems like, you know, a great idea or your friend did it or your mom had done it or whatever it is. So let's talk about why do you want to do this and why is this important? Because that's going to help us both, you know, along the line here, you know, so. Um, and help you achieve that goal. hundred percent. And same rule applies to you. Same yeah. rule applies to me. So your why can change over time. It can yeah. change from maybe when you were 50 and you were first getting to this crazy level you're at. 
and it could change again, you know, as you age up and could change three more times. Um, you know, how competitive you are, I don't see that changing. I don't see it. Like there are people that are, we're just, we're not necessarily born this way, but we develop at an early age and that passion and fire and drive and like a killer instinct. It's just, it's just in certain people and it's honed and it's never going to go away. And it applies to everything. And sometimes the why is way is more broad. The why sometimes for me is, well, the why right now is I'm part of me, I think is trying to defy the aging process in a way, or what we define as the aging, how we age that I want to do this because what society or what a lot of people think of what a 60 year old woman is or does or is capable, you know, of that I want to, I want to defy that. I want to show that that's not necessarily true. This is what else we can do. Um, this is, we don't have to not age gracefully, or we can still be competitive, or we can still have these, you know, crazy goals or keep our bodies in a certain shape. Like we don't have to succumb to, um, getting old. I mean, we're going to get old, but, um, to what, again, what we define as being old. Um, so I think that is one reason too. my why is like, yeah, I just, I want to keep fighting it somehow, or just showing that it can be done, um, or what's possible for being a woman or being close to 60 or, um, a mother, like all these things. Yeah. It's a huge, huge combination of things, but it's all really, you know, kind of one big thing. And it's, uh, it's a big driver for you. And it's an awesome, an awesome goal to have because, you're just trying to show um, other women, hey, this can be done. Um, and if I can do this and I came into the sport so late, what can you do? Um, right. What could you maybe tackle that you think is out of your wheelhouse or out of your range or not something you could ever do? And um, that's the whole point of these shows, to share these kind of amazing conversations and have people discuss all of this stuff. Why are we out there? Why do we do it? What do we want? What are we looking to accomplish? And what do we want to share with others that'll help them, you know, fulfill what they're looking for? Because, man, we're all after different things. Like people tell me they want a BQ. I'm like, that's not a why. Okay, that is not a why. That is something you want to accomplish. You want to go to Boston and be a qualified runner. It's great. It's fantastic. That's not a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You need something a lot deeper than that. So I am fully on board with um, getting your runners to really put more thought into, you know, what it is that they're out there for. And you can see the sign behind me. It's the show mantra, stay in the fight, man. Like stay in the fight applies to life, period. It's not a running thing. It's everything, man. We're, we're all going to get shitty hands of cards. We're all going to get dealt uh, tough life blows. Um, things happen. You know, we lose family members, um, you know, illness goes through, we lose pets, just many, many things happen and it's difficult. It's hard. Um, and how we, you know, face those really difficult times, um, we have to be resilient, you know, so stay in the fight for me. My mom's had lymphoma 30 plus years. Um, she's this tiny little Irish woman who's just so tough and nothing can stop her or bring her down and her spirit is so great. So for me, that's, that's my mantra. That's like my, I'm going to be in this thing until the dirt's on top of me. And I, if I leave this earth running a road race or a trail race, I will be a happy person. Maybe my family members won't be because, you know, they'd have to come and get me, fetch me from somewhere. But <laughs> my God, if that's how I left this earth, if I was running along a beach somewhere, running along my waterfront somewhere, and the Lord takes me, I'll be leaving 
you know, in a happy way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge goal. It's a great goal. And, um, hell yeah, those kinds of times, the kind of results that you've been able to put together over a long period of time, sure, it inspires people. And it doesn't just inspire other women, inspires me, inspires all runners. So I think it's all, it's all runners. It's men, it's, um, women, it's, it's younger people, kids, you know, um, I love being able to tell even the kids I coach, you know, whether it's a cross country or my youth group, you know, they'll ask me, you know, well, how far do you, and I'll tell them these things. And, you know, I'm older than some of, obviously a lot of these kids, like mothers too. So they find they, they can't, you know, believe it. But um, again, they have no sense of the time stuff, but when it's just more tell them distances or things I've been doing, you know, um, yeah, their, their eyes just get like, you know, cause they don't see that much, you know, I'm basically, you know, they're looking at their own mothers, fathers. And I mean, and some of them are athletes. I'm not saying that their parents aren't, you know, but um, I don't know if they look at me that way. So <laughs> um, yeah, I like the idea of the, that it, it does inspire people and it shows people that they can get out there and do the best they can for themselves. And that's all that you can ask. Well, I'm certain that that's why Rabbit and other brands, you know, are working with you because it's an inspiring journey that you've been on, but also to show people like, hey, man, this isn't the end of the line. It's far from it. Um, And if only you will be able to decide when you don't want to put that level of work in to chase the things that have that are going to give you the fire to keep chasing it. It's only you. There's no one else. Jenny's not going to tell you. Your husband isn't going to tell you. Your kids aren't going to tell you. Your training partners aren't going to tell you because we can't fool ourselves, man, because you know what it takes to go into that place. And I think what you're saying is a good point, important too. Like, yes, my, you know, the underlying, maybe the why some of these goals or the thoughts I have about why do I keep doing this? But along with it does come um, hard work. I work really hard at, you know, at, at running and what I do. So, you know, um, and maybe I also put so much, a lot of work into this too, because I don't have a, you know, a full-time career also. So for me, like I, I have the time and the luxury to put a lot of time into this. Um, and, um, so I think too, that people want to know like, well, how do you do this at your age or how do you accomplish that? And, and it's like you said earlier, it's a, it's consistency. It's, a really hard work, not many excuses. And, you know, I just want to be out there proving to myself and to others that, you know, if you work hard at any age or any ability, you're going to see results. Hell yeah. Um, and on the emo- more on the emotional side of your running, um, I know you lost your mom at way too young of an age. Um, and obviously you have your two daughters who you're super close with. We were talking about family before we came on, just chatting, getting to know each other a little bit. How much do you think about a, your mom, um, while you're out there doing some of these crazy things, um, running some amazing races, you know, just breaking crazy records, running super fast times that like defy a lot of convention or, and, or your daughters, you know, while you're grinding through your workouts, while you're doing this really hard stuff, how much do you think about them? Cause they're very different thoughts. Cause your mom, is maybe up there watching you, or maybe you feel her presence and your daughters obviously are still here with you. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, when I'm doing the workouts and things, I don't think I'm thinking about either of them or anybody, <laughs> <laughs> but I am um, certainly with my mother who died when she was only 50 years old. And as I had mentioned, you know, I had had a 
baby that was only two months old. And um, the running became super cathartic for me. Um, and I needed it to kind of, uh, you know, get my mind off of whatever I was going through. And then, you know, it ended up, I'd get pretty emotional sometimes during some runs. But then after that, it started to just build upon itself that, again, I wanted to defy whatever, like, okay, if if things can end so quickly, I'm going to, I want to do this as long as I can, because my mom didn't get that opportunity. And what would my mom think if she saw what I was doing right now? And what would her advice to me to be about certain things? And, um, and just, I don't know. It's like, again, I, I, once I turned 50 and then I realized that I didn't have sort of that role model of who to look up to as far as that mother right now, that I just needed to set a different tone. Like, okay, she wasn't here to show me. I, she wasn't really a big athlete or anything, but uh, I just, I wanted to do what I thought seemed impossible yet possible. And where was this going to take me as far as, you know, being competitive and, um, and how fast could I get just because again, my mom never got that opportunity and I didn't have the role model to show me, this is what you can do. So I started setting my own path that way. Um, and yeah, I think about it all the time. Yeah. And it sounds cliche always to say, well, I do it because I can, but it's true. I do it because I can, and she, she can't and others can't. And for my own kids, um, yeah, they're not so much runners. They they like to run and they do it, um, but they're more well-rounded athletes. They do some other things as well. But um, I I don't know. I don't think about them or trying to push them as much, except if they are going to want to race or do something. I, I help coach them and I help give them positive energy and I help, you know, instill a little bit about why running is important. And, um, and I don't know. I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> It's okay. You did a, you did a great job. <laughs> did a great job. Did a great job. No worries. Um, you did great. Um, how about, uh, maybe like one or two race highlights with you, we could do an hour and a half show just on your race highlights, maybe one or two of your most memorable races and why they mean so much to you. Um, as I mentioned before, I think, um, well, one of them, my memorable one was, um, I was trying to do the Olympic, uh, trials qualifying time for 2012, which was 246 at the time. And I think my fastest marathon was maybe a 252. I think it just seemed impossible. And I think some people told me they thought it was impossible and some, I had their support, but either way, I started working very hard towards that goal. And I went to Eugene and I ran, with the the pace group that was leading the women for the trials qualifying time. And um, I just happened, I came into Hayward stadium with a two forty six ten, So I missed the time by 10 seconds, 11 seconds, whatever. And I, um, that was really memorable because I remember like being so proud of myself for the you know personal best time I had. And so devastated that I had missed it, the trials by that little. And um you know, so that was a very memorable race to me where you start to really try and put things together about what went right and what went wrong here. And where did those 10 seconds go, you know? And yeah. Um, and then 
I went to the last race you could possibly do for that as I went to Huntsville, Alabama. It was, I think the last race we could do before the trials qualifying time shut down. And I just didn't have it in me there. And I, but I, you know, it was the first race I've ever won. So I won, um, the, I think it was called the rocket city marathon. <laughs> and so that was pretty fun too, winning my first uh, marathon. And then obviously, um, some of the other ones were just, as I sort of mentioned before, like, it's just ones where I've broken some barriers that I never thought I could, whether it was breaking three for my first time at CIM to, um, actually running, um, some of these American record times, which turned out to be some of my fastest times too. It's not like I was just running a time that was something that I did, you know, when I was younger or something, you know, but, or, um, these were the fastest times I've ever ran in my life. And so those were super gratifying races. And that was the 5k, 10k, 10 miler, half marathon and the marathon. So, um, yeah, baking, breaking those barriers and having my own personal best at 55 and up, um, that, that was pretty, that's pretty fun for me. And I can't explain how I did it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, believe me, I think it's like everybody wants to know Kip Jogi's formula. Everybody wants to know someone else's formula, you know, just because they run this many miles a week or this many days or what paces doesn't mean if you do it you're going to have the success or I'm going to have it or anyone else. So your formula is yours. You've perfected it over time, you know, working with your coaches and training with other athletes. If you do some of these workouts with uh, some company, if you have other athletes you do the hard stuff with, or if you're, if you're a solo person. So, um, you know, that's just, that's just the way it works, but it's great that you pointed to that one race where you were so close. Cause it was a six minute PR. So it was a huge PR for you in the race and people probably thought it was nuts and you had no shot and you literally were 10 seconds away and finished on the track. So a lot of people would get to that point and that would be their summit. So, you know, I'm just sharing from talking to so many runners and knowing of so many people in the master's community, they get to a point like that and that would be it. That would be their swan song or their checkout and they think they couldn't go any further or do any more and you've just, you know, gone, you know, completely and Just, I did think that after running 246, I thought, oh, as I was getting older, that was a swan sign. I'll never be able to do that again, you know. And then I did a 249. Like, okay, well, I'm never I'm in my 50s. I'm never going to be able to break, you know, that again, you know, or th that's, you know, bye bye. Um, and you're right. It became with just how I started training. It became with who, you know, working with Jen. It became the people I was training with. Some very fast. We have some really fast. Uh, runners here in Sacramento, especially a lot of masters men who are pretty fast and, um, and some women as well. And just kind of running with these faster people and doing different kinds of workouts and really pushing myself, things just started to kind of click, which made me realize too, that maybe I wasn't giving it my all or some of my best shot in some of those other races, you know, I just wasn't training as properly or the best kind of training for me. So probably not, but in a way it set you up for longer term success mm -hmm. because you were able to just continue developing more, you know, maybe more aerobically, maybe getting stronger, but then those faster paces, those tougher paces where you're dialing down and working with faster people, people that are as faster, faster than you, you know, you just start to hone and sharpen and just continue to build and get faster. 
Um, so it's probably was better for your long-term development anyway, if you think about it it, and how it worked out. Um, I think so too, that when, you know, people like who inspires you, I've never had that one. I'm sure there's a lot of great runners, famous runners that I've never met or, and I, yes, they inspire me. I look up to them, but really the inspiration and who I want to be are, it comes down to sometimes my own teammates. You know, those are the people that I see on a daily basis that inspire me and I want to be like them or keep it up like them and um, train with them because that's the inspiration. That's who I look up to. Like if so-and-so can do that at this age or so-and-so is doing this, you know, and she's this or he's that, that's what um, keeps me going also. And, um, you know, gets me out there doing the workouts and trying my hardest because that's what they're doing too. Yeah. You're all pushing each other. Um, So what do you think your drive and your competitiveness, your spirit, your fire, because Lord knows you have it. Uh, (laughs) Where do you think it comes from? Um, I think it comes from, um, first of all, the challenges. I like to push myself. And uh, once I start doing, I like to just keep trying to get a little bit better at it. But I think maybe what that comes from too is because um, I never had that sort of full-time career where, you know, a a big career that I, that I did every day, like a lot of my friends. Um, I wasn't always the straight A student in high school and college. I wasn't the best athlete, all these things. And so I found something that all of a sudden I was uh, pretty good at and came naturally to me. And what happened was I think it became a way of my identity and how I identified myself as being the runner, the racer, this is what I do. And this is what I'm good at. And that gave me a lot of fire and discipline and motivation because I liked having something that was mine and that was different from, you know, some other people, my friends and family. And um, as much as it's dangerous to build your identity around some of this stuff, because again, one day, maybe you're not going to do that anymore, but then one day, maybe you're not going to be a doctor anymore. Maybe you're not going to be an architect anymore. You know, we all go, we'll go through those transitions of losing part of our identity. Um, But I do feel that, it gave me some kind of power or differentiates me from the the masses or from others. And that's what creates the drive for me. Love it. How about mindset mantras? Do you, what do you do on the self-talk side? Um, Or do you have any special mantras like stay in the fight for when you're in the race, maybe when tough spots come up or, you know, if you're just trying to focus on your breathing, whatever it might be, do you, do you do anything like that in a race? Well, after I moved from the mantra of just don't vomit to, um, or pass out, <laughs> I moved to, um, you know, basically like I say it in my head, like, you know, you, you've, you've got this, you're well-trained and, um, I'll be running and part of me thinking, oh, you should slow down. You're going too fast, but I'll start saying over and over, like, no, stay where you're at, stay where you're at, stay where you're at. Like you can slow down if you need to slow down, but keep going as long as, you know, you're there. Um, and, uh, basically you've got this, keep going and don't stop until you need to, there's no reason to stop, you know? So I just kind of keep telling myself, okay, I feel good. I feel good. I feel good. Keep it up. And if you don't, then you can take the next mile slower Then you can do this again, back to that permission thing, letting myself off the hook. And then I usually don't take myself up on it, you know, but, um, 
that sort of you've got this and keep it up until you can't is probably what I say a lot these days. And then also too, when you're thinking in terms of mileage and you know, you have like six miles left or eight miles left, I will say to myself, like I said, well, Jenny, you've run six miles every day. You know what six miles is. You've run eight miles at tempo. You know how to do this. And yes, I'm tired or I want to stop, but I just say like, okay, you do this all the time. You can get through this. And then there's always, and then you can have your big glass of wine. (laughs) I love that. Your, your, uh, your reward, just desserts, as we say, but yeah, it's great to visualize. Um, and we all run loops. We all run regular courses wherever we live in the world. Um, that's just a great thing to do. If it's, you know, breaking up the last 10 K certain number of miles, whatever, just, Hey, I've been in the spot a million times. Like, you know, just, just bring me home. Um, darkest hole you've ever dug out of and how, and it does not have to be about running could be something in life. Well, I think I I said to you, um, probably the darkest hole was, you know, after my mom's death of a a car accident, which came pretty suddenly and having a a baby, um, that was probably my, my darkest hole that I had to get out of. And do you ever completely get out of that hole? Um, no, because sometimes you can sink back in, but it's certainly, um, I got out of it because of having a new baby and because I knew I still wanted to start a family and, you know, just keep the, the generations going and, and, and then, you know, and again, the running really helped bring me out of that too, because it was something I could go do when I was feeling down or to clear my head or to be alone and make me feel grateful for, for being alive and having the baby and the babies that I had and the husband that I have. So along with running comes gratefulness and I'm completely grateful that I can do what I do. Um, how about your current coaching relationship? We did talk a little about you and Jenny working together um, or outside of Jenny. Has there been a particular mentor somewhere along the way who's had a real impact for you? Well, my first coach who I mentioned coached uh, Susan Loken was Brett Schumacher. And um, the reason I got in touch with Brett, and this was in 2008, was, you know, first of all, I was running, but I had no idea, you know, what I was doing. I felt like I just needed somebody else to be my my brain, as I call it, and to tell me, you know, that's a good idea. That's a really bad idea. And I got a lot of from Brett. That's a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to string things together. And so I had a friend out here who I was running with who knew Brett and I knew that he was coaching Susan and I was looking to someone who was good with coaching women and masters women. So, um, I spoke with him and he coached me for many, many years and pretty much transformed my, my running. So I have a lot of gratitude for, for Brett, um, and then after him is, you know, and then I even thought, I don't need any more coaching. I can do this myself. And then immediately started talking with Jenny Spangler. But um, the the coaching relationship, all of us who think we don't need a coach, um, once you have one, you realize why you really do need a coach. And uh, we, um, even though if you are a coach, we still all have our coaches. And I think it's just, um, it's nice to have somebody, you know, just be on your side, someone that holds you accountable, someone that can be your brain and write things out for you, that knows what works best for you. And so that you don't make um, poor decisions along the way, which can completely 
you know, ruin your racing and running and the goals you have just by being stupid. <laughs> Self-sabotage for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lord knows we've all done it to ourselves. Oh yeah. Um, if I didn't have a coach, I mean, I would probably make always, it's still a wrong decision for myself. Yeah. I, I, I think you said that so well, and but you are a coach. So that leads us to our next question. So um, what have you learned by coaching other runners or maybe something from them, you know, how they go about their training, how they fit it into the life they have, like just something about your own experience coaching athletes that's informed you and maybe changed how you think about running a little bit. Well, I think that um, I don't want running, especially for the level of the ability of people like coach. I don't want running to be an added stressor or pressure in somebody's life. I want it to be something they're choosing to do, something they love to do. And you know, they might have some goals in mind. So when I'm coaching people, I'm very clear that I'm not one of these scientific, you know, type coaches. I'm not doing graphs. I'm not talking in the lingo the whole time. Like someone's like, well, what's supposed to do threshold. threshold. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm kidding, but I just, I tend to be very real with them about the coaching and fitting it into their lives. So when we work on their schedules, you know, I know what their lives are like. I know when they can run, I know what kind of cross training they want to do. And I put it together in a way where it creates a successful training plan and running plan of meeting their goals. Because the minute I find people don't feel successful is when they start to back off or make poor decisions. So I try and do everything to sort of build success upon success with them. And that might mean, you know, how many times a week they run to the pacing that they do to the goals that they have, like, just let's set this up. So it it works for you and your life and you feel good about what you're doing. And if they're not, and something's going on, then we have to back off and, you know, figure it out. Um, So to me, the coaching is, Again, it's back to helping someone be their brains, holding them accountable for what they're doing and, you know, bringing some kind of success and joy into their training that they might not necessarily feel if they were, you know, doing it on, on their own. I don't want it to be drudgery. Um, And that's again, too, if I feel like it's starting to be drudgery for someone or it's not going well, that's when we'll start having that conversation about the whys, you know, like you know, why, why are you even doing this? Like what's, you know, um, I don't say it that way, but yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, the coaching thing. And it also, it teaches me, it teaches me to also be a a better runner. Um, because, um, you see what you do for other people and where they're going with it. And I'll give them a workout. And sometimes I've given them a workout that maybe I haven't even done myself before. You know, I'm just sort of like, ah, this this could work. And then I have to sometimes go and do my own workout <laughs> to see, like, I, I better go see what that feels like. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, I learned from it too. And I met some really great people with different interests and jobs and, you know, childhood life. And you really learn to also become a good listener and um, how to work with people and um, communicate. And you know, just have them be sort of the best that they can be with the running. And if I'm not doing that for them anymore, then, you know, we all figure that out together too. So. Love it. And last one, community service. Um, what's something important to you, important to you near and dear to your heart, something you like to engage in in the community? 
Well, I do um, have a youth running club that I've been doing for years. So I go over to the elementary school and I do a running club after, you know, after school. And that's super fun. Just getting these little kids interested in running and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's entertaining. (laughs) It's fun to see the growth because some of these kids, they leave elementary school, then they come over to the middle school and I'm the cross country coach there. So it's, it's, it's really gratifying to see sort of the way these kids grow and into running. And I can spot the runners from the the seven-year-olds like, okay, I'm going to see him or her in middle school. And then they go on to high school or whatever they do. So I give that. And then with my, my team puts on a lot of races. And so I'll, you know, volunteer at the cross country races, or if there's school, um, like track programs and things like that, I'll help with after school, again, elementary youth, um, programs like that, or it might be like one shot, do like a track meet. And then other than that, you know, I've tried to get myself out there in the community, just that have nothing to do with running, you know, um, I'm helping it, you know, sort of the food shelters before and, you know, also getting out there at the election polls and working those. Um, So I have time to do some of this stuff. So the pandemic sort of put an end to a lot of the things I was volunteering with. And now I hope to pick, you know, that up again and just do something that has nothing to do with running, but just um, being out there in the community and helping people. Love it. Great opportunity and great way for you to give back to our beautiful sport. Um, well, Jenny, it's been so fun getting to know you, man, and talking to you. Well, as I said to you before, we've come on and on the show. I mean, I've been a huge fan of your running and inspired by your running for many years. Um, so it's been just so awesome to get to know you better and have a conversation with you and chat with you and learn more about you, man, and what makes you tick. So uh, it's been super fun for me. And I always give the guests one last chance if there's you know any message you want to leave with the run chats audience, maybe one last message, um, before we roll out of here, before we sign off. Um, I think the, the message about what I do is that I think a lot of the times the question I'm always asked is how does someone around your age, you know, do what you're doing and, uh, how do you do that? You know, what's your workouts? What do you eat? What do you, do you, do you strength train? Do you do yoga? Do you like, how much do you sleep? Do you drink alcohol? And, uh, the answer is sort of, um, yes, yes, yes. No. Like I sort of, I'm, I'm all over the place with some of the things I do. Um, but it's back to that. I do work hard, like I said, and I do train with people that inspire me and I, don't make many excuses for, you know, not getting out there. And basically though, too, that what comes with also being an older runner is um, I'm very much into balance. My, I live a very balanced life. So do I stretch every day? No. Do I drink? Yes. Do I eat crappy food? Yes. Do I sometimes, you know, let myself off the hook and maybe not run for a couple of days because I need to rest? Yes. Not often, <laughs> but, but basically I, um, I, I don't want to live, um, and breathe running all the time. And I think what makes me a good runner and successful is that I, um, lead a balanced life too. Love it. That's a great closing message and something we all have to be aware of. Um, we have to find that balance in life, whether we're post-collegiate runners or we're masters runners at our ages, 
um, that balance is super important because uh, we'll live more fulfilled lives and we'll be able to put more energy and drive and passion into chasing our goals when we are feeling that uh, fulfillment. So wonderful. Well, I think message. it's important not to be your own pleasure police, you know, I, you know, that to beat yourself up for things or not allow yourself to do things like just, you have to, um, you know, be kind to yourself. Yes. Well, we say at the end of every episode, we tell the runners to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Talk about inspiring. I've been a big fan of Jenny's running for years and it's just uh, jaw dropping some of the times that she's thrown down in the 50 to 59 age group. And I'm excited to see as she makes her way into the age 60 category, what's next. Um, you can hear the excitement in her voice and a little bit of nerves uh, running her first international marathon in London this year. We'll all see her and uh, can't wait to meet her and her husband over there and just uh, be running in the race myself, but just rooting her on to have a great race and get after some huge uh, records in the age 60 to 64 category. But uh, so appreciate her coming on and sharing her story. And uh, no doubt it will move the meat, move the needle and uh, fire some people up and, you know, get them moving because uh, that's what the show is really all about. So I hope you're all doing well. I am recording this from Tokyo where we are a couple of days away from getting ready to tow the line here and make this race happen for the first time since 2019. I'm getting ready to go out and host a shakeout where I'm going to meet a bunch of people who listen to Run Chat. So it's super cool uh, that the show is growing and building. And thanks so much to Jenny for coming on and all the other amazing athletes who I'm lucky enough to host these conversations with. Um, you're helping us build a platform of positivity. So let's just keep it rolling. Um, and any new listeners, if you're enjoying the content and vibe, share it with your friends on Instagram, Facebook, Strava, stories, wherever it might be. Let's get more people listening. It, it just helps me so much to get great guests like Jenny to come on. And uh, if you have a moment to hop on Apple and write a quick review and rate an episode and tell us what you liked about it, it really uh, goes a long way and brings us new listeners to the show and the platform. So as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And I'll throw in gambate because we're in Tokyo, which means fight. Uh, and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out. Peace out.